0: Hello, and welcome to Spectology, the Science Fiction Book Club podcast. I'm your host, Adrian, And I'm your guest host, Lydia. (laughs) Indeed. So Spectology is a Science Fiction Book Club podcast where usually me and my co-host, Matt, uh, read books, science fiction books, uh, a new one each month, and talk about them over the course of two episodes. This month, our book is The Lesson by Cadwell Turnbull. Um, And also Matt is not here because he has had some personal stuff come up and can't be here this month. So we are joined instead by a friend of mine from Homer, Alaska, who is calling in from there now. uh, Lydia, Uh, Lydia, do you want to, you know, say a little bit about yourself?
1: Uh, Sure. Um, Yeah. Adrian and I grew up together in Homer, Alaska, and uh, I'm One of the leaders, I guess, of a little book club, um, science fiction book club we have here called the Cosmic Mariners Guild. So Adrian and I have sort of reconnected lately over uh, reading some of the same books um, as they've done on the podcast. Uh, And Adrian's been known to call in by Zoom to some of our meetings as well. Um, Yeah, That's
0: been fun. I enjoyed talking about uh, we talked about Dark Eden uh, a few weeks ago, and that was a lot of fun. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah, so there's been kind of an ongoing little behind-the-scenes relationship uh, between the book club and the podcast, which is cool. Um, Yeah, I'm a a biologist mostly, but uh, I've done some traveling and stuff, which, uh, um, yeah, is partly why we picked this book. It sparked some of my interest um, to do with some of the time I've spent abroad. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that's all. (laughs) i have to say about myself
0: excellent well i'm really excited to have you on um it is you know always we we had nate on like you and you and nate have known each other as long as i've known nate um Mm -hmm. and longer than i've known you so uh you know had nate on a while ago and so i'm excited to like grow the kind of you know Alaska crew <laughs> on the <laughs> podcast cool. um, and I think at here. the time like Nate mentioned having like read Binti for like a podcast in Homer and that was like the one that you run so there's you know been like that relationship with the the podcast yeah and totally the yeah Homer I book listened club to your Binti time.
1: episode before that was our very first book for the club that we picked Um, and I, yeah, remember listening to your podcast that you'd recorded about the same time, um, and hearing all the cool stuff you guys had to say about Afrofuturism, which made me sort of realize like how much more a book club could be, how much more we could talk about than just like sweet spaceships and other (laughs) planets.
0: Well, I'm glad to hear that because that's definitely what we like try to be on the podcast. Is <laughs> you know more than just that. Well, you know that stuff's cool too. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, <laughs> Um, Yeah, I th- I think the Vinti episode was our first ever like good episode in some ways. <laughs> <laughs> like, it was our like third month and finally us figuring out what the fuck it was we were doing. So I'm glad <laughs> that that you know worked out well for you too. Yeah,
1: that came across. Um, I think
0: <laughs> good, good. So yeah, so we should talk about the lesson a little bit it's a relatively new novel by cadwell turnbull it was just published last year i think like uh, about a year ago i think it was like june or july 2019 um i don't know a lot about i haven't actually like started it yet i thought i was going to get the chance to but you know podcast listeners who follow me on twitter might know that i just started a new full-time job so that is just like sucking up literally all of my time right now uh, so you know, I'm doing my best to do any podcasting at all. And also very thankful for B who's been, uh, holding down the fort, doing our like book club or, uh, sorry, book tour episodes in the meantime last month. Cause we've, I don't know if you know, Lydia, we like took last month off just because like both Matt and I were so packed with like starting new jobs that we couldn't, we couldn't handle podcasting duties. So this is us gotcha. coming back yeah, that's for the fair. first time in a while. Right. So hopefully we won't have to do that again. I don't know. I'm going to move in September. So like, we'll see, but mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, um um, Sometimes you know, just keeping that, up
1: with running a book club seems hard and we're not producing anything. So I totally right. get it.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, it's a, uh, you know, covid times are difficult times for everyone and starting new things on top of it is like, yeah. you know, more than I have the ability to handle some days. Um anyway enough about me enough about uh let's talk about the novel a little bit so yeah i haven't actually started it yet but i've been excited to read it since um i I heard about it over the winter sometime i forget how it's just been on my list of like you know i keep like a spreadsheet of books that might be interesting for the book club and this has been on the spreadsheet for a while now um it's a first novel uh he's published a bunch of short stories that have gotten like a fair amount of acclaim he's been in the last two like it's his uh best science fiction and fantasy of the year kind of compilations as well as been published by like analog and Asimov's and all the typical kind of like big, um, locusts, etc. like big science fiction, um, magazines. And this seemed like a nice, it's kind of a short novel, which I think is nice for both of us. Cause you yeah. also read other books for your book club. <laughs> and as I've said, I don't have time for anything right now. Um, and it's also a alien invasion novel, which is fun for me. I I think we'll talk more about that. We haven't really done any alien invasion stuff that I can like think of on the podcast. And so I think that'll be kind of like fun to talk about. Um, I know also like we admit, we usually try to do content warnings at this point. I know you've read a little bit more of the novel than I have given I've read none of it. Uh, Like, has there (laughs) anything come up that maybe like, you know, readers might want to know about before going into the novel? Nothing too intense. I'm only, I'm about 20% of the way
1: through, uh, so I've just read a couple chapters. The only thing that stuck out at me is there is, like, one of the main characters right off the bat is a professor kind of toying with an affair with a student and dealing with marital troubles, Mm. so uh, that's definitely a strong theme with one of the, actually two of the main characters, because both he and his wife are perspective characters. Um, Oh, cool. Interesting. Yeah, I know that from the book blurb, there's some violence that comes up for sure uh like i think in the blurb i haven't reached this point they talk about the aliens ripping people's heads off just occasionally um right so i have no idea if they deal with that directly or if that's like a a background situation but that's all i know so far
0: i read that in the blurb i guess the other thing to mention again is it's sort of like it's a like it takes place in um the U S Virgin islands. Right. And it's like kind of explicitly about colonialism. So those themes will both be stuff that we'll be talking about, but also it's just like the text of the book itself. Um, Yeah. So I guess, you know, a little, I tried to look up a little bit about the author and beyond, you know, he like graduated from an MFA, I I think uh, from North Carolina state. uh, My understanding is relatively recently he's been publishing short stories for the last couple of years. And, you know, like I said, he was in the best science fiction and fantasy anthologies the last two years. Uh, He was actually on LeVar Burton reads like LeVar Burton picked one of his um, stories for his podcast that he does now um, where he reads uh a lot of like short fiction on that podcast um yeah other than that he's like a relatively new author and i don't know the book to me you know it's sort of like often like the question like why did we choose this book and like for me it was just like it sounded cool like (laughs) it sounded (laughs) really interesting and kind of different from anything else we'd read especially recently where we've read some like fantasy novels and more like you know it feels like either been fantasy or far future type stuff. And so to get something that's maybe a little bit more like contemporary alien invasion felt like a fun change of pace for us, which I always like, you know, I like switching up our, the pace of what we're doing from time to time. Yeah,
1: it's kind of you'd given a list of possible books. And I guess I'm the one that picked this one out because it had a lot of things in it that sounded interesting. But coincidentally, we're reading Lagoon by uh, I still don't know how to pronounce her name after all this time. Maybe oh, Nnedi, Nnedi Akorfor. Yeah. Um, which is about alien invasion in Lagos Um, and you guys are about to do Rosewater so it's kind of all all happening at once Um, and that one's similar too and there's like local dialect going on and uh, yeah so for me it's like yeah this like a pile of um, colonialist like foreign alien invasion science fiction but it's awesome so (laughs) I'm enjoying it
0: right yeah and all by like black authors too which is interesting and I think that's for me you know like I've read maybe this is just a Oh, well, before that, we should actually talk a little bit about I mean, you've you've read more of it so far, but like, you know, you've mentioned a few comps like Lagoon and Rosewater. Are there any other maybe like kind of comparable novels so If like someone likes novel X, they might like this one from what you've read so far? Mm, I wish
1: I'd thought about that a little more ahead of time. I know when I was first just reading about the book, what I was thinking of was TV more than anything and not even good TV. Like I was talking to you, like there's (laughs) uh, like Colony or uh, Falling Skies, um, you know, which are sort of like the walking dead of like alien
0: invasion shows almost. Um, Oh, interesting. I've actually never (laughs) seen either of
1: those. I enjoyed both in like a really like if you're in the mood for something really like kind of like pulpy and just um, right, you know, not super deep, maybe. Um,
0: I mean, uh, that's kind of what I like out of my TV. Not going to lie. So (laughs) a little bit sick of the peak TV stuff these days sometimes.
1: (laughs) But uh, yeah, in terms of other stuff, I mean, other than Rosewater, um, Tade Thompson and uh, Lagoon, Uh, Oh, I did. uh, It reminded me a little bit of uh, I was in India this winter and I picked up this book called Aliens in Delhi. Uh, Oh, cool. (laughs) uh, Yeah, it was. This book is a lot more successful at uh, being readable. uh, (laughs) I would say I never actually. (laughs) I really appreciated that that one existed. Um, It was about like aliens were. They like came to Delhi uh, and were secretly trying to like tamper with people's genes using using like cell phone towers or something Um, weird (laughs) but i i I think some of the same some of the same themes in terms of uh colonialism and stuff might come up at some point but uh yeah Mm. this one this one might be a better place to go if you were going to choose between those two books
0: excellent that's good to know (laughs) i definitely i i like Like reading like Indian science fiction is something I have never done and always wanted to do. But it's actually like such a broad category. It's like there's actually a lot written that doesn't get published here in the States. And it's something I've always wanted to like be able to dig into a little bit, but I've just no idea Uh where to even start.
1: I couldn't really like what I did is I went to all the bookstores and asked them if they had any science fiction by Indian authors and they all looked at me like I was completely insane like and they said yeah um so if it exists I mean I found this one by myself like on the shelf and I was like it was like way high up in like a weird corner um
0: interesting yeah
1: so I, I found this one on my own but uh i i couldn't find a lot maybe there's more than i think like there are a ton of like internationally recognized literary indian authors yeah but yeah yeah
0: No, i mean i mean i could be wrong my that is like you know kind of my understanding like i've been told before like oh there is good indian science fiction without like knowing how to you know we should find it it. yeah definitely i would i would love to (laughs) Yeah, you know, it sounds like maybe it's a uh, you know the discoverability can be difficult in that in that way. Um, yeah, so let's talk alien invasion fiction a little bit. That I think that's a good segue into just doing that. Like, I also like as I was thinking of this, like we haven't really read any alien like invasion fiction for the podcast that I can like think of off the top of my head. You know, it's like stuff that has aliens in it. But there's a very particular you know t- subgenre of fiction that is like aliens come to earth and like we as earthlings are like less you know advanced or whatever than they are and like we have to deal with that um you know and i was trying to think of like this stuff even like in book publishing it feels like it's in some ways less popular now than it used to be like i when i was a kid i read a bunch of like you know like what was the um Larry Niven and Jerry Pornell like hammer of God or something like that. Like mm. they, like they, they had a, a, an alien invasion novel. I feel, I feel like it was a very kind of like common trope of like, you know, kind of maybe fits in a little bit with the big dumb object, like, you know, rendezvous with Rama or something. It's like, Oh, something mm-hmm. comes into our solar system and we don't know what it is. But then also this, this theme of like, Oh, the aliens actually come to earth and we have to deal with it. You know? And I think even like, obviously like, HG Wells war of the worlds is sort of this yeah. like seminal text in science fiction and is sort of like doing that. And I don't know, but I was trying to think of like, well, what have I even read recently that fits with that? And I couldn't think of anything outside of the short story, uh, story of your life by Ted Chang, which got turned into the movie arrival.
1: Oh, I haven't seen the, uh, I haven't read the story, but the movie is excellent.
0: Yeah. The movie is phenomenal. The story is also very good. And like, um I don't know it's like has some like the movie I think did a good job actually cutting out certain things that just like are not as mm. relevant in like kind of movie format, but it does mean that reading the story has its own, like, you know, it's not like one ruins the other in a, either in any way, they kind of like stand alone as pretty separate works in a lot of ways. Um, and both are just phenomenal, but, um, like other than that, you know, that, that but that got me thinking of like, oh yeah, like, you know, obviously like alien invasion movies are like such this thing from, mm-hmm. you know, independence day <laughs> is sort of like one of the canonical ones for our generation. Um, But also, again, like Arrival or I think of um, District 9 kind of came up for me, too, as I was thinking about that. And maybe that, you know, might in some ways. I I actually I don't love District 9. I know it's one of these (laughs) like movies people absolutely love. I don't like totally dig it. But I do think that in terms of like, you know, being an allegory for colonialism in a very explicit way. I also
1: really wanted to love District 9 and I liked a lot about the vibe, but the actual story and something about it like wasn't i loved um chappy which i think some of the same people did like that one was just like one of my favorite movies ever not alien invasion related at all um but district nine i really wanted it to be more than what it was but i think you're right that it's in that same category of somewhat more contemporary alien invasion um particularly in that it's like not european or american based
0: Right, right, sort which in I the think same you same know, category here a lot of like Western science fiction does fall into that trap of like, well, of course the aliens are going to like come to the U S and blow up like the Capitol. And like, we're going to yeah. fight back and win. You know I mean? Like again, <laughs> the like independence day theme, which is yeah, you know, like also floating
1: spaceship over New York city or whatever, you know, like
0: that. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Or, you know, I guess there's like Cloverfield or whatever that's sort of like, you know, mm-hmm. like it what, what in like Japan might be like more kaiju monster type stuff, but in America often just becomes like alien invasion, big monster kind of, wrecking things but i do think that you know actually it is interesting that like that is this big theme in independence day but like independence day was made by a german right like roland emmerich is like not an american filmmaker (laughs) so i just like just kind of thinking that for the first time if like he really knew his audience with that one Mm -hmm. um
1: It seems like, yeah, I mean, not exactly the same time, but like with War of the Worlds, with the whole radio uh, production they did and people thinking it was real news and then Independence Day and like uh, there's there's some sort of, yeah, like almost like media news um, hysteria based, like something they're playing on with people that maybe Mm -hmm. has calmed down a little bit, like, you know, like that the shock value of those or something hit and then people kind of left it alone for a while and now they're maybe starting to come at it from some new angles.
0: Right. Yeah, and I guess that's even like looking at a rifle and the way that it did it. Like it played with the media thing a little bit by having kind of, you know, the Alex Jones type voice which like, you know, who induces the like, you know, kind of like grunt military men on the ground to try to sabotage Mm. the work and then also the sort of way that the different um one of the things i really liked about that movie was the way that the different um governments were working together you know essentially they were working together over zoom like each (laughs) in their own area it's like right now (laughs) that movie takes on a very like specific you know kind of feel of like them just like i i guess that's maybe spoilers for the movie i I don't care you know you nah, don't yeah. listen to the next few seconds but like at one point they all like <laughs> turn off their like zoom recordings like oh no there's no way to like get in touch with them anyone everyone's like going dark in this kind of like video conference and uh you know there's something that feels very like 2020 yeah <laughs> about yeah that's that totally right true <laughs> <laughs> but yeah but it is it's like you know some of that big spectacle and maybe too it is like you know like there, I wonder if there's some element of like in Western science fiction, especially like we you know when was the last time that like America or like most European states were like invaded by a foreign power. Right. Like mm-hmm. that's not like a fear, even if it has like happened from time to time, like Crimea or whatever. Like it's not like a fear that we have. It's not like World War Two and like, oh, yeah, the Japanese can bomb Pearl Harbor and like, you know, the Nazis can try to like, you know, invade poland and france and like bomb the uk it's just like that sort of like fear is less so so i I guess in some ways it kind of makes sense that you know the folks doing more of it are you know like from this perspective of the u.s virgin island or south africa in the case of um Yeah, it does Um, seem like a lot of a lot of
1: the stuff we're talking about is popping up in different places around the world that are more affected by imperialism or, you know, that that kind of those are more like still present historical looming uh, fears in their culture.
0: Um, Right, exactly. And, you know, and I guess that is like, you know, sort of like one of the like one thing that like alien invasion fiction can do like either well or poorly as this sort of like colonialism in science fiction kind of thing. Right. Like I feel like a lot of alien invasion fiction is trying to talk about colonialism in, in one way or another. Um, you know, you have the sort of like Arthur C. Clark childhood's end version. Like we did that on the podcast, uh, in December mm-hmm. and, you know, Like the premise of that book is almost like, well, what if colonialism, but like good actually, (laughs) you know, which like gets to like Clark's kind of like feelings about like the British Empire, which were maybe like, you know, he, he, he was on the like, you know, receiving end of the good parts of the British Empire and like (laughs) had some, you know,
1: I read that book when I was probably 13 and I did not read into it that far. That (laughs) makes me want to listen to your episode and read it again. I mean, it's
0: a really fascinating. I also read it when I was 13 and like did not read into that at all. I mean, it was only something I noticed at all in this most recent read that I Hmm. did where it was like, and I I guess, yeah, that is the one alien invasion book that we've done on the podcast. I hadn't thought of that one. We we read like three books in the same month in December, all of them kind of being like old classics of science fiction. And so um, I didn't like pop up in my head. But yeah, that is like, you know, explicitly this alien invasion where like the aliens are like if not benevolent like here in some ways to like try to like you know move us into a more civilized place which right is often the like mythology that like especially i think like british colonialism had right like we're going to these places to like colonize but also like civilize them right i mean you still hear it you know like british apologists for british colonialism will talk about how like oh yes like these places were backwater and then like we brought them civilization
1: yeah
0: you know which is often especially like you think of a place like india it's like oh yeah they didn't have a civilization right <laughs> you know <laughs> <Yeah>. sure dude <laughs> whatever you want to think <laughs> it's yeah. not like they're say si- they didn't have like you know massive like, like urban centers while you were still like banging yeah. on rocks right
1: yeah yeah, I'm interested to see with this book uh, where it goes, like it, the the blurbs and reviews I've read make it really clear that colonialism is a big theme and it talks about, you know, how the, the this, the Yina or in, Ina um, oh, are researchers essentially who show up right. uh, and are like, they're trying to coexist in some way. And I don't know if like, I'm curious to see whether they have like a philosophy of just like like observation and non-intervention or if they're trying to uh yeah improve the society in some way like if they're like humanitarian purely research uh or kind of what their what their deal is or you know maybe they say they're one thing but really there's like a deep conspiracy and they're another right could go a lot of directions there i hope it's none of them and he does something totally surprising we'll see (laughs)
0: Right. Yeah. No, I'm very curious. I'm like, you know, I'm fascinated. I wish I could say anything about that. (laughs) Maybe if I had read the book, I could. Um, Uh, I'm
1: not getting any of that from having read the first couple chapters. That's all from (laughs) what I got from the back of the book. (laughs) Fair enough.
0: Fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that's that's sort of what I, you know, was kind of hoping and reading it, too, is this thing of like. You know, I think in particular, this idea that like like colonialism or like cultural imperialism or like whatever you want to call it can come in a lot of different forms. And I think there is very much of like a modern form of it that is like, you know, like, Oh, we're giving like aid to people in Africa or, Oh, we're, you know, like we're just doing like, you know, anthropological or like whatever other kind of research research that is like, you know, still has this like very real power structure associated with it. Like a lot of aid is both, you know, Hopefully, helping people on the ground, but also comes with this like political power, right? Like, it's a way of like, you know, kind of pushing your soft power across the globe. Um, yeah. and you see this, like, you know, America does this and like China does this too. And especially in Africa, like there's often these sort of like soft power wars that go on of like, what kind of aid are we giving? What strings come along with it? Like, what do we want out of like giving that aid? Um, there's actually, yeah, there's a totally. really interesting podcast called the China power podcast that is explicitly about like the way that China, like, uh, like Chinese international relations, um, and like they talk a lot about like Chinese aid in Africa and the way that it's different from American aid in Africa, which is like American aid tends to be this like humanitarian aid with these kind of like, you know, certain like, you know, political like sticks and carrots tied to it. Whereas like Chinese aid tends to be much more economic aid and it's much more about like we're going to like build infrastructure, whatever for you. We really don't care give a shit what kind of like, um, you know, what your political system looks like, but we do care about like owning things at the end of this. But like in some ways that's not all that different from what America does. It's like slightly different goals at the end of the day, but the like real end goal of both of them is like, it's selfish. You'll like us way. more. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Yeah.
1: So I have like my, I'm like exploding with thoughts about everything you just said, but yeah, Jeez, I spent, say <laughs> I spent three years living in uh, Tanzania and Zanzibar in East Africa. And I kind of went down a rabbit hole in Zanzibar learning about uh, their history and when they, um, you know, became independent and then they, they had a, you know, their whole revolution and everything. And, uh, when Zanzibar declared itself independent in, in the sixties for a little while, it became like, you know, they really wanted international powers to recognize them, but it came at a time when like the cold war is like raging and there was a lot of concern over these newly independent, concern from the perspective of like big big international powers not in africa over like as these countries become independent like whose side are they going to be on what kind of political structure are they going to develop are they going to be democrats are they going to be communists um yeah and zanzibar was one of the first that sort of became uh because there were chinese interests there east german interests british Mm -hmm. and american interests and it like even in like within a week it just became uh like once the actual battle was over um kind of a political political battleground of everyone you know the the chinese trying to get a foot in and uh, i Mm -hmm. think like britain and the u.s really saw it as like like a wall that like if communism gets in there then it's gonna roll over all of africa you know so they're trying but in the end like what's resulted like technically tanzania and zanzibar are um it's a democracy mostly but there's it's end up being like a weird combination like uh there are Mm -hmm. these like youth like work camps people go to after graduation that they like kind of have to attend if they want to go to college and um oh,
0: interesting.
1: And there are all these uh the East Germans gave a bunch of money to build these big block apartments. So like right in the middle of this much more like Middle Eastern looking architecture, there's mm. like these like it looks like you're in the Soviet Union, like these these like communist like cement. Um anyway, so
0: That's cool.
1: Yeah, so totally. And then in term just in terms of like modern foreign aid, like that was another thing that I like. I mean, I worked for USAID funded projects some of the time I was there and just like, yeah, it's it's doing a lot of good on in some levels and especially on like a micro scale. But the larger system is it's like mm-hmm. it kind of seems like it's a way for these powers to like keep their fingers in, keep their interests in uh, for like the resources that are there and the political influence. And it also kind of cripples those countries from like developing their own in- infrastructure, Right. Um, you know, because like if like the the power line breaks and like the government of like Finland, um uh, that's just a random country, uh not <laughs> pinning anything on Finland, like like gives them, you know, a million dollars to fix it or whatever, then like yeah, they're not gonna develop their own structure there. So anyway, I'm not right. sure how this all relates back to sci fi. Uh you know, I ho- mean it doesn't Hopefully have to. it does within this book.
0: <laughs> right, right. <laughs> yeah. So I I'm actually I'm fascinated by Zan like I know just the smallest amount of like the history there. Like they had a relatively like left-wing government too when it like became independent. Isn't that right? Like that that's my understanding, is that it was like started off as a relatively left-wing government and like often like both through foreign power intervention but also the like You know, intervention of other African countries like near them trying to invade, like turned more and more militaristic over time.
1: Yeah, like that's true in a way, but there was also like the government that sort of the British like handed power over to was also Mm. racially much more Arab and affluent. And so oh, interesting. L- like the government that's still in power is the revolutionary government. They're now, uh, they, there's a union with Tanzania. So their government is like semi-autonomous under the government of Tanzania and Tanzania has some oh, really cool. similar things going on. But yeah, so that first government was like, in some ways you're right. It was more progressive and, um, a lot of ways, but it also, you know, there was like a lot of like really ancient unha- like, it's like a, Ancient, you know a historical slave trading port and like right right so there's a lot of uh like class and race issues and so the revolution was also um like sort of the more like ethnically african people like i mean it was almost an attempted at genocide that's probably a controversial thing to say but they killed like fifteen thousand arabs you know on in oh, like a wow. day um, no in that revolution that. and took over so Like, it is complicated in that you can see that they were frustrated by, like, generations of being repressed and stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, that was so
0: much the, like, British way of leading, right? Like, a lot of British colonialism was, like, we go to an area, we take a, like, political and ethnic minority, and we, like... lift them up as like our appointed leaders in that area. And like, that was a like pattern that they did over and over and over again, because they knew that then the like new leadership was like, so dependent on like British interest to like be in power, but like you know, it does mean that like on the one hand, like yes, people shouldn't like commit genocide against other people, <laughs> but like also yeah. like that structure that got built there was like built for the purpose of knowing that like ah oh, yes, if you ever like try to go against us, like you're a minority in this country and like you know it, and you can only rule like with us as like yeah. the power behind the power. So that sort that is of- yeah. Go ahead.
1: Oh, no, I was going to sort of in the same, like, a different strategy, but in the same vein, kind of like the partition of it, India and Pakistan. Like, it seems like at yep. least the the way I've heard it kind of spun is that Britain really, like, creating Pakistan on their own kind of protected their interests with a government that mm-hmm. w- that they could maintain a relationship with and power over, whereas, like, if India had all stayed united, then they were much more likely to lose a lot of that.
0: Right. Right. And I think, you know, I, I, I don't think, you know, Pakistan and the UK have the best relationship anymore. That that was was definitely like part of why (laughs) it was right. No, no, I just want to point out like, like, you know, obviously things get more complicated now, but that was definitely why, you know, like part of why they did it also to like create civil strife inside of the newly, you know, like independent India, like by creating this, like, Oh, well, like, you know, like, cause this is so much of what they did was to like go in and decide like, these are the way that like, you know, like these are the lines that we have to draw, right? Like, Mm -hmm. I mean, drawing the borders of the African countries even, right? Like that's Africa didn't, those (laughs) borders are like created by colonialism. Right. Exactly. Not by like who lives where and what political structures existed beforehand. And there were political structures that existed beforehand, right? Like that's Mm -hmm. often, I think kind of gets lost in this of like, you know, India wasn't a country. It was a subcontinent was like a small continent, Mm -hmm. the size of Europe and more populous than Europe that had, yeah, a bunch of different like kingdoms that like, you know, had kind of like their own diplomacy, their own languages, their own religions, right? Like we think of like Hinduism as this like one specific religion when in reality it's like way more complicated than that. Um, But like, you know, and like so much of the British did was come in and say like, oh, yeah, you know, this is all really complicated. Let's simplify it and tell everyone they have to do the same thing. And like, you know, along these lines that we've drawn kind of coming in and trying to understand things. And, you know, a lot of why they did that, you know, I'm I'm very fascinated in the history of British colonialism, partially because, you know, I, I think this is something we forget about. You know, a lot of American imperialism happens obviously through like American, like both soft and hard power, but a lot of British colonialism, especially in like the the 18th century was like the beginnings of capitalism, right? Like the British government did not take over India the East Indian trading company did. And it's like really worth like thinking about like, well, what is the East Indian trading company? In some ways it's the first multinational corporation, right? It's the, it's one of the first like things that we can point to as having like a corporate structure. And it was like built specifically to like go to this other land, like take conquer it and then like extract resources from it. And like that, so much of British colonialism was that it was like giving these corporate charters to these groups of people. And like, like with corporate charters came the ability to like raise a Navy and the, but also the ability to like extract wealth from these other places and make them British. But it wasn't like the British government doing that thing. It was these like corporate structures doing it. Right. Which is this really kind of, I don't know. I've always found this super fascinating. This like very specific way that the British like figured out to like harness both like militarism and capitalism for like spreading everywhere. Right. Mm-hmm. And like other countries did maybe a little bit of that, but like, you know, less well in whatever way, such that like, you know, the British empire was the big one at the end of the day. Right.
1: Yeah. I feel like I don't know enough to comment on that truly being, cause there are so many other people we're not even talking about like the Portuguese and maybe a little yep. bit farther back and whatever, but totally in terms of like our modern political structure and the fallout of all that. Um, I think you're
0: right. 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 Well, I think that's what one of my understanding. So there's this, um, There's this Indian like blogger who I like a name. His name is uh, Venkatash Rao. uh, And he writes this blog called Ribbon Farm. And uh, he grew up in India, although he's like American now. And I think he's a citizen even. But um, he talks. uh, He has this really long blog post. I'll like link it in the show notes for audience. That's about this. That's about like mercantilism and like indian colonialism and british or like british colonialism in india and like how like this is kind of the formation of like the corporation as we know it today and like why it worked so well um and he's he's interesting you know i i would say he ends up being like more on the pro-capitalist side of things than i do but i think also as a history it's like really well sourced and the like books that he draws from to like write the blog post he's like good about listing those sources and i've read some of the books and they're very good um but yeah no I, I i i always wish i knew more about like african history like what i've learned is so fascinating and obviously there's so much of it because it is yeah a continent right like it is there's a lot there and there's a lot that You know, I always think, too, of the way in which, like, there's a lot that is actually available, but that is sort of like viewed as like, oh, well, it's ancient history, even though it's, you know, from like before the 1500s or whatever, because like before the Europeans came, like there just wasn't really civilization there. And obviously (laughs) that's complete bullshit. There were like many kingdoms and like, you know, like important, you know. Power structures and political structures, and like people who had history. Um, and a lot of that still exists. I know a little bit about it um, through like Ethiopian history, like, is one thing that I've read a little oh, bit. Oh, yeah. About, that's that's super, super. I would love to know more about
1: that because they were never colonized, right?
0: Or right, they never exactly. successfully, they just were right. like,
1: maybe the only one or one of I the think few that stayed the, independent. Like some
0: of the only, right. I think they're it's essentially the only territory that stayed independent and also like had its own, like not only is it some of the only territory, it, like specifically has its own like now national identity, but then like, you know, kind of ethnic tribal identity that is like stayed constant. But then also, you know. And like, here's the thing. I don't know how true this is, of like other parts of Africa, but there was a lot of like trade and cultural exchange between Ethiopia and the rest of Africa, like throughout the Middle Ages and like earlier. Right. So there's this like like Ethiopian Christianity is in some ways like one of the oldest forms of Christianity, It like predates Catholicism hmm. in terms of like like Christianity came to Ethiopia really, really early. And they've like had the same Christian forms like that whole time. Right. It's like a lot closer to like the Coptic churches in some ways. Um, right. There's sort of like, there was this whole kind of like early Christianity centered around like Northern Africa that was like really focused on like kind of like aesthetic monkhood stuff. Um, and that, you know the kind of Christianity in Ethiopia as I understand it is like more similar to that they're also like Ethiopian Jews who have been like practicing Judaism yeah I remember seeing
1: like, so in Zanzibar there's like this kind of like beach boy vibe where there's all these uh yeah like uh, kind of mixed like African Arab ethnicity men uh who are like muslim and wearing some muslim garb but also like all this like reggae jamaica yeah, uh, yeah. rasta stuff and i remember seeing these pants that somebody was wearing and seeing the star of david on them and being right like, like knowing very little about like what rastafarianism is other than like reggae music and uh, weed, you know, (laughs) Um, and, uh, did a very, I don't know very much, but did a very minimal amount of, um, internet research and yeah, reading about the history of that, that and religion and Ethiopia. And it is really interesting.
0: Yeah, no, it really is. And it's like, you know, and the thing about Ethiopia is it's an outlier in the fact that it wasn't conquered, but it's not an outlier in its like interesting history. It's just that, like, we right. don't have the history for these other places because these other places, you know, in some ways don't exist as they were. Right. Again, like mm-hmm. Tanzania is not a thing that existed before the British got there and decided like these lines are where Tanzania is. Right. And these lines are where Kenya. Yeah, is. Yeah, absolutely. And like, the, where, like the the language in- is for the French.
1: Yeah, the, the language in Tanzania in theory is Swahili, but like in a lot of the little villages out in different areas, like you grew up there, you don't speak Swahili, you speak whatever the tribal language is there that that has been for, you know, and then you have like right. the Maasai who stretch across uh, several countries of East Africa. Um, but that's a
0: whole interesting thing, too, because most of them are Christian. Oh, really interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway. No, I mean, like, no, but it's it's like this stuff is, you know, again, like, and I'm speaking at it from this place of at the end of the day, like extreme ignorance, like wishing I knew more about it. Yeah, me like, too. Yeah. I tend you know, to learn I,
1: about this stuff when I go to a place. I get really focused on the history of there. And then when I go to the cool. next place or, you know, then I'll connect it. But on and on the large scale, like I've like never studied colonialism you know like right right, right. <laughs> I, like my I mean, academic I.
0: perspective is super limited here right right well you know and i think there's there's something to be said of like learning about like the specifics instead of just like the big kind of like high level stuff too i, I mean like mm-hmm. that at least is what i always enjoy about history is reading like really specific stuff of like oh this is what it was like to be here at this time and this is like what happened in this like one particular area that brought it to where it is now um yeah
1: yeah, one thing so thinking about this book and the fact that like I I knew I know very little about the Caribbean, never been there. Uh right. again did a, a little bit of internet research um before starting this book, but yeah, thinking about the US Virgin Islands um yeah, in, in terms of colonialism, I don't actually know very much about how they became uh, you know, or how or when they became part of the US, but like so so in this book you know the the colonialism theme comes from like the alien invasion but there's like already maybe he addresses this but kind of an elephant in, a, in the room of the fact that like they're part of the US as well um so it'll right. be interesting to see if he talks about that in there and he definitely in, in what i read he goes back in time a little bit and explains some early history so I'm hoping he does more of that to kind of bring us up to speed.
0: Oh, that's cool. I always, I always love on. it when science fiction does that kind of like intermingling history and future yeah. kind of together. Uh, you know it does have very it's like, like in some ways it's a nice way of actually like getting across some of the like points of what you're yeah. going for um, but also it's like you know I don't know it's like fun to read about history just like it's fun to read about these yeah especially up, like, if, if it's things. history
1: and then you like sprinkle some aliens in that's great yeah, like they should I'll, do that in I'll history classes kids would pay m- way more attention <laughs> yeah, right. I think I mean, they might be confused depending on how old they are but, <laughs>
0: but that actually reminds me in sixth grade we did this like big 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 unit on um on egypt um which i guess you know is a part of african history that like i do know a little bit more about because that yeah we did cover
1: egypt a lot in our like u.s school curriculum that's kind of strange like the pyramids and right exactly (laughs) exactly
0: and you know but but i do like that was one of the first times that you know sixth grade so it was like one of the first times using like the internet to do research for a project and i mm. definitely went down some rabbit holes about like ancient egypt like and aliens and that kind of shit you know it was one of the first times oh, yeah. learning like oh, yeah there's a lot of stuff on the internet isn't there maybe aliens <laughs> built the pyramids <laughs> yeah right right and oh there's these old hieroglyphics that show like helicopters yeah. and stuff and it's because of time travelers it's right. like because there's you know and so much of that kind of like ancient alien shit really does come down to like oh because there's no way they could have done it themselves and it's like
1: yes yeah they although they, they say that about places
0: like Stonehenge too or you know Europea- right, totally European. Yeah, totally, but- totally but yeah no it's I, I mean in some ways it's less like you know I mean, so I think some of it is racially tinged, but also there is just this idea we have of like, Oh yeah. Like the past, like people were like primitive, right? Like people like couldn't conceive of things that we can now and couldn't work together. And it's like, yeah. Then we find
1: out, I think, was it the ancient Romans or somebody they had like super advanced plumbing systems and you know, right.
0: Yeah. As well as like, you know, there was like indoor plumbing in a lot of like Indian cities, like mm -hmm. 3000 years ago, right? Like in India, the India subcontinent, not American Indian. Um, right. I don't know if they did have plumbing or not. I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, I know like there is something akin to plumbing in like Machu Picchu and some of these other, you know, like mountainous towns where it's like, it's not okay. Maybe it's not covered, but it's like, yeah, they had like ways of getting water into everyone's home in these places, right? right? Like they had, I mean, these I don't even have plumbing in we, my
1: house, so they yeah, right. got me
0: beat, you know, right. like, I Pro <laughs> up with plumbing. I was mean, very like, you know, Homer, Alaska things, you know, I have a Marine
1: <laughs> foot, Petal that uh connects to a hose that goes in a five-gallon blue jug, that's how the water comes out of my sink Nice, so. <laughs> nice, excellent,
0: yeah. excellent. Yeah, yeah, no, we would uh drive into uh you know, drive into Safeway. Homer and and yep, exactly. Yeah. Back when it was still Eagle instead of Safeway and uh, you know, pump water oh, yeah. put potable water through there and then you know right. bring it home in those like red five gallon like jugs that we had. Yeah, yeah. No, mine I are mean, blue, it, but same idea. Right, exactly. Well, I think I, I think the ones we used for some. Some reason were actually like gasoline jugs that we yeah the red ones for... are usually
1: for gasoline yeah that's true. I, don't, I guess I if you no buy idea it new my
0: parents yeah, yeah they were all new they <laughs> were never used for gasoline I should be clear about that but like I have no idea why we chose to use those instead of the like potable water buckets I don't know maybe they're like <laughs> thicker or sturdier or something like that I have no idea. I should ask my dad why he did that instead of the like potable water ones sometime <laughs> next time my talk to him <laughs> that's just <laughs> weird moment. No, I love this like talking to other people. From Homer and being like, oh, yeah, this was just normal to me. Like, I should ask someone why that was normal to me. Yeah. (laughs) Why we did things those ways. (laughs) Yep. Ugh. Yeah, no, I sh- we should, uh, you know, what I'll do is I'll look up a little bit more about the Virgin Islands for the uh, post read after I've like cool. read the book, too. And we've read that. Yeah, then it's we'll something- know
1: what direction he goes with it as
0: well. Right. Exactly. Because I'm I'm very curious. Like, I don't think I, you know, even know anyone from the U.S. Virgin Islands. I guess that's not entirely true. Is it? Maybe it is. But, you know, it is. It's, you know, but again, it comes down to like all these little places that were, you know conquered and like some of them gained independence and some of them gained like semi-independence and some of them like those are just like yeah it's american territory but we you know like don't really think of it that way
1: that's one thing i noticed in the first chapter of this book is these characters like their lives all the characters so far are pretty like affluent i think like professors and veterinarians and stuff but Mm -hmm. i'm like they're describing their houses and he does throw in some good little touches about like the food they're eating and there's a little bit of like local uh slang or kind of a pigeon thing going on but otherwise i'm like they sound like they could be in like suburban seattle to me you know right Uh, right. like the way (laughs) the way their lives sound i don't know we'll see uh, how that develops also but another thought i had about you know we we were talking about colonialism and science fiction and i was trying to think if i'd read anything else where it was such kind of a strong theme and i was realizing usually especially in like you know like white uh science fiction american or you know it's it goes the other way you know it's like we talk about us colonizing other planets and a lot of those same themes come in like worrying about like uh ecological issues like if we're going to bring in germs or like i just read the sequel to semiosis and they talk a little bit about like the um no spoiler this happens right at the beginning of the book but earth uh, more people from earth go to packs and uh you know, they're worried about bringing disease. Uh, so like, so yeah, it's like, it's like most of sci-fi now, like our, we're, we're focused outward kind of, um, Mm -hmm. in that respect. So yeah. Or like, you know, I'm reading the Sparrow and (laughs) which I know is your favorite book ever. Oh my God. I have Um, so many
0: things to say (laughs) that I'm not going to say. I mean, there's also like a book about that that is like an apologism for Colonialism in a right of a lot of ways. I, I don't know how far of the way through the book you are. It really comes up in kind of like the last Truth the sparrow Yeah, yeah.
1: I'm like 80%. I set it aside because I had this book and Lagoon to get through for this weekend. Right. Um yeah, those I, yeah, are both better yeah. books. <laughs> I've <haven't laughs> you not know, read I'm this like,
0: book yet, and I'm sure it's a better book. <laughs> one thing about
1: the sparrow, I won't I won't say too much, but I've like like i'm interested to see if i'm gonna like it or hate it at the end and i either way i will have been glad i read it to see like yeah anyways but but yeah so also like with that that's like the whole missionary thing you know and they're like they're sort of more humanitarian but they also talk about like being worried about like their crops interfering with local crops and things like that um right i guess as a biologist the ecological issues are, are things i think about but uh Yeah. Anyway, I mean, it's yeah, it's cool to see that turned around um, in this book and, and brought back home. And also, yeah, interesting. It's from the perspective of someone from a place where that's probably a little more relevant in their modern minds where... Like right. me in Alaska and new, you in New York aren't really sitting around thinking about the people that colonized our country because it's us or, it's you us. know, Ari has, well, it, right. it wasn't me, but, <laughs> but right. our, but, you yeah, know, our forebears and yeah, that's
0: right. Yeah. Well, you know, it's, a, I mean, I don't know how much, you know, like growing up in Alaska, I did a lot of stuff with the Alaska youth for environmental action. I think you did a little bit yep. too in high school. Right. um And like, that was really interesting because that was some of the like, few times I actually like went to more like like places in Alaska where there's like a larger native population right because Homer doesn't have like a particularly large native population I you know I hesitate to say that Alaska is segregated in terms of its native population because like that kind of word has reference to like different kinds of political structures with like the way that like black Americans are treated whereas like you know in Alaska it's more that like oh no there are these like just these cultures and people with like land who've like, they're just much older than our culture who've like lived on that land for a lot longer than we have. And like, you know, they tend to live there and we don't, and we live in the places that we colonize and kick them out of in a lot of in a lot of times. But there is this sort of like, you know, growing up in Homer, I never really thought of myself as being like a colonizer, like living in what is a (laughs) a relatively new colony in a lot of ways. Right. Right. And like, you know, But that is absolutely like what it is. Right. And that is the ways in which especially Homer, which is like such a white town, even like by Alaska standards. Right. Like I I feel like in some ways, like growing up, so it's like, oh yeah, Homer's like the cool liberal town, but like also it's like super, super white. And like, yeah, there's a lot of little white towns in Alaska, but like, Homer's definitely one of them. And like Anchorage yeah. isn't, and Fairbanks and Juneau aren't, right? Like there are towns that are like, oh, they're so conservative, but also like have a lot more going on in other ways.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I've been working um, last fall and I'll be going back this fall up in Cape Lisburn, um, which is a mm. really remote area kind of uh, in Northwest Alaska near Point Hope and Point Lake, oh, kind totally, of, if you yeah. roughly know where that is. And I was looking into the history there because there's no town there now, but there's was. And it's like, so oh. there were all these graves and stuff and it was, uh, they, anyway, there's, there's some history of almost colonialism there. I mean, you, you might not call it that, but there was this pre, you know, priest from the lower 48, uh, I assume Catholic who came and set up in this village and his grave is featured super prominently. And I think oh, they all whoa. died of, um, like the Spanish flu or, or one of those, uh, and the, like the whole town died. Um,
0: wow, that's so wild. So
1: yeah no absolutely and i mean luckily in alaska like maybe it got pushed later enough that there was like more preservation of culture not to say that there's not some in native americans in the lower 48 but right um like yeah it was pushed just late enough that like there definitely some bad stuff happened but you know now like There's some structures in place with like uh, the native corporations that own land and, you know, the villages are pretty in charge of themselves and and almost, uh, you know, they're under our government. I don't want to say anything too crazy here, but they have right like uh, like just a hair of like sovereignty to try, you know, that's.
0: Right. Well, in the native corporate, like, I don't know if I've ever talked about this on the podcast. I've, I've long been fascinated by the way the native corporations work because so if our listeners don't know, like, you know, most in the lower 48, most like American Indians, like either like there, there's this like idea of sovereignty that like in some ways is tied to, tied to land, but also in other way. And like with the land, it's often these like Indian reservations. This land kind of like given to the tribes. So there's also just the tribes themselves have like some form of like you know nationhood and sovereignty and are able to like work directly with the federal government in that way. And in Alaska, like that is true. There are like Native tribes, but also those tribes have these corporate structures that like the members of the tribes like wholly own. Um, that and those corporate structures are the things that own the land instead of the land being like granted through treaty and it like has created this really like fascinating situation where like they own the land they're able to profit off the land they're able to like give those profits back to the shareholders aka just like the native people, yeah, the people of who live in their tribes whatever, right yeah. exactly and also like Weirdly enough, it's both a lot harder for, like America, like the federal or state governments to take land from corporations than it is for them to take land yeah. from <laughs> like these sovereign Indian territory things. Um, and so they've been able to, like, hold on to their land a lot more easily and better. And also, it's a lot easier for corporations to like lobby American federal and state governments than it is for the like native, uh, like sovereign native governments too. And so you get a lot of money coming from the corporations, like into Alaskan politics, which leads to like there being like more representation of like native desires in both like Alaskan state politics, but also, um, like Lisa Murkowski, one of our senators was at one point, um, like successful, she's a Republican Senator. She was successfully primaried during the like, um, you know, tea party kind of era and like this tea party guy, like successfully primaried her. So she wasn't actually on the Alaskan ballot as a Republican, but She won a write in campaign and became the like Republican senator again anyway, largely through being funded by like Native corporation money, right? Like a lot of the funding for her write in campaign like came through these Native corporations because she'd always been a really good friend to them. Um, And they like did not like the guy who had like won the, the, primary uh, and you know alaskans a republican state especially at the federal level like the republican's gonna win one way or another so better mm-hmm. to like throw your hat there than than with whatever democrat is running and who's not gonna win um and like i just find these kind of like you know especially coming from like a supposed red state and i, I i'm sure you feel this way too of like you know it's this idea of like oh it's this red state and it's all republicans and blah 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 and it's like you no, know, that shit's way more complicated than that right like you have issues of like you know, native sovereignty, you have issues of like what it means to be Republican in an all Republican place and like, you know, what the ideologies there are. You have, you know, obviously, like there are places in the state government that are, you know, not represented by Republicans, right? Like you yeah. have all these sorts of like competing interests that, like, when you look into it, are all like, are these kind of some of them are these historical artifacts like the native corporation system which really only exists in Alaska and how that has changed things you know the fact that Alaska has like a larger per capita of like native population than any other state in the union does and like that has some to do with it um i don't know yeah, i, I mean,
1: the uh, sorry yeah <laughs> the trend of like i mean this is true throughout the US that like more populous places tend to be more uh democrat it's like kind of weird and reversed almost here i don't know if that's actually true but like the native villages and stuff do tend to be uh bluer um whereas a lot of our republicans come from like you know the strip of like uh yeah the peninsula anchorage up to the valley Mm -hmm. probably fairbanks and all that um don't know a ton but yeah we've got it's an interesting sort of uh yeah there's like a like kind of an ethnic dynamic going on there and uh, right. an interesting thing with yeah the rural situation
0: right right and also the way that like you know ruralness works in Alaska where it's like you really do have like a strip of white people from like the mm-hmm. Kenai Peninsula yeah. up to yeah. Fairbanks <laughs> you know which is also the like most populated strip of Alaska and obviously some places like Homer are like relatively rural and then, like, you know, out east end where you and I grew up are, like, more rural than, like, home yeah, itself to, like, is. Yeah, like, to me,
1: it doesn't really seem rural, like, knowing about the rest of Alaska. But to, yeah, like, right. my friends that I went to college with in Tacoma, Washington, like, they think this is, like, the most backwater, like, crazy <laughs> rural little, like, village that they could possibly imagine. So, right, especially exactly. if they've watched reality TV lately, I guess. But... Um, <laughs> <laughs> Right,
0: right, yeah. Well, I mean, it's funny. It's you know, it's like yeah. I like both you and I are describing like me growing up without running water. You living without running water right now. Like yeah, to most people that's probably pretty rural. But also like, you know, I definitely talk about ruralness differently if i'm like in alaska versus like outside of alaska like yeah here in new york people like wow that's wild it must be the most podunk place ever (laughs) Then, like it's like yeah but we had like a library and like a 24-hour supermarket you know like
1: yeah like if i told someone if i was talking to someone from point hope and i said that like i lived in a rural town in alaska they would think they would be like what yeah. is wrong with You're you you like the road you.
0: system what <laughs> the fuck <laughs> Yep, yeah, totally you can drive there
1: <laughs> yeah
0: yeah yeah no. i guess
1: yeah the that sort of totally back to the book but it made me think that an interesting thing going on with this place specifically too is that it's on an island so it'll be interesting to see yeah i don't know how focused he's get, like like things on islands tend to develop uh a little differently you know and they can be almost common across islands like all over the place i think that's why i keep thinking about zanzibar even though it's like geographically a totally different place than saint thomas but um yeah
0: no that makes a lot of sense that makes a lot of sense right and yeah and also like like islands or places that are cut off generally and particularly islands right like can have their own sort of like even, you know, for instance, like you said, like it's like on the on one hand, it's like an American territory and it's like America. And then on the other hand, it's like, oh, but the like food is different. They have a slightly different language. And like, you know, sort of like this really like specific instance that of that culture that can like grow and change on its own instead of just mm-hmm. being like an American monoculture. You know, I mean, I, in some ways, I, again, like feel that way about Homer in some ways we're like you know it's very yeah, hard to actually, describe think- Homer to people who <laughs> like you know like I went to college with where it's like no it's like pretty normal for the most part but it's normal in this kind of like orthogonal way to what you yeah, think like of Yeah like we're as normal. normal
1: Americans here but but yeah it, it, yeah totally i think right. why i was uh why i suddenly started thinking of islands was thinking about some of the remote villages and not being on the road system and like they're not yeah. well some of them are on islands out on the aleutians or whatever but they're mm. mostly not actually islands but in terms of like the every, way
0: they're geographically the, the remote. way they, yeah, they relate like to the social world they essentially are right yeah
1: yeah
0: right exactly and no in those places my dad actually does like a fair amount of work uh like in in kind of like like often native villages but like very rural parts of alaska building um airports actually and like airstrips and like airplane hangars and stuff like that there's like a lot of federal money going into that over the last like five years or so like a lot of these um a lot of these smaller villages have like a lot of federal money going into like you know build these kind of like airstrips that are much larger than anything they'll ever need. And it's, you know, very clear, like this never gets said out loud, but it's very clear. It's like, Oh yeah, that way if war ever happens, like the U S military has places in Alaska to land their planes. Cause like these places are never like never using them, you know, to their full capacity. Um, but you know, it's like, yeah, it's like these places have, they're so remote but all and like also have their own identities as like each place as well as their like native identity but then also like they are part of america and they are part of alaska and they you know yeah
1: totally even being in like kotzebue um you know like Mm
0: -hmm. very
1: different looking place from like uh heartland american wherever in kansas or whatever but like yeah, it still feels like the United States to me, you know, we still have like a, yep. a common culture um especially because of like what we're all interacting with on our phones and you know. <laughs> yeah, <like>. especially that. I <laughs> know. I know. Yeah, I
0: know. yeah totally. Cool. Well, I, I I can talk for hours about Alaska yeah. on this podcast. I don't, you know, I guess anyone who's still like a listener of us after like two years, like knows that and just accepts that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but one more topic before we, you know, closed out that I did kind of want to touch on because you, you mentioned it in our like, you know, chats back and forth beforehand. It was like science fiction in the time of COVID and like what it means to read like either escapism, but also like, you know, kind of the speculative fiction now in yeah, the world totally. itself feels like a fucking you know science fiction novel
1: yeah am i allowed to like is it pre-read acceptable to talk about a quote from the second oh, chapter yeah, yeah, of yeah, the book okay cool yeah. no spoilers but um yeah the, the one of the characters is a professor teaching like it's cause like the first chapter like is like leading up to the invasion and then it like jumps uh. way ahead. To, so, so like they kind of set it up and then the rest of the story is like after the aliens have already been there. Mm-hmm. And so he's teaching this class in like post invasion literature, which I thought was kind of interesting. And he said something cool. like, um, I just jotted this down, but how it's increasingly difficult to make distinct distinctions between conventional and speculative speculative fiction in a world where they had collided so completely. And it definitely <laughs> made me think of like, right now like i'm very curious to see what's going to happen with science fiction after covid even just like in my car the other day on the like shitty pop radio station uh k wave um yeah oh yeah a song came on and it wasn't a very good song but it was it was like it must have been a new song because he was singing like will you be my little quarantine (laughs) oh my (laughs) god oh my god (laughs) (laughs) and it just made me realize like like that's just the beginning and i thought about this at the beginning too like after like it was like march and i'm like panicking trying to get home from abroad and like the world feels like it's ending and i'm like oh my god but there's going to be so much good like art and fiction that's going to
0: come out of this (laughs) right right Um, i mean you know i wonder how much of it is going to be good
1: (laughs) sometimes like I feel like it might take a while
0: you know like the stuff that comes out in the next year might be a little like on the nose I think so I mean like how many people have like a half written novel now called something like love in the time of COVID that's just about like online (laughs) dating and you know like (laughs) like dealing with like dating over email at the moment or whatever right but it's probably nothing
1: that hasn't been dealt with as much as it needs to be on Saturday Night Live already yeah right exactly
0: (laughs) exactly a hundred percent yeah, but I think yep. you know, it will be really interesting, especially, you know, given how long this is gonna go on. You know, I've been yeah. <laughs> Matt was really annoyed at me in like uh February when I was like, hey, like this is real and it's gonna go on and like you know, be prepared for it. But like, no, like now it's like he's not on the podcast, so I can say like the shit's gonna go on for a couple of years yeah. probably. Um, and you know, it's like what you know, the world is gonna look very different in 2022 than it did in 2019 right? Even if the yeah. shit does get like cured, whatever that even means at this point, by the mm-hmm. end of this year, which like, I don't believe it's going to, like the world is just going to look so completely different. And, you know, I think a lot of science, like I, I, you know, I follow a lot of science fiction authors on Twitter and stuff. And like, you know, definitely some of them are talking about just like the difficulty of trying to like, imagine that right now, you know, right. Like mm-hmm. in some ways, like, any near fiction, science fiction from the last like decade has just been like obliterated. <laughs> right. Yeah, like it's totally. all just like immediately like, you know, maybe, there's probably like some book somewhere that was about, you know, like a, a a virus happening that like maybe kind of but like no, like most of it is like totally obliterated. Um you yeah, know, and totally. like yeah, but that's also that's just part like we'll we'll get through it at some point and like people will start writing fiction. That's maybe a little bit more like, you know, less on the nose about, you know, about my boring life in quarantine and more about like, you know, what brought us here? Like what could have gone yeah. better? What went or so even wrong just with the US this
1: in the background, you know, not like a, a COVID yeah. focused story or anything, which particularly with science fiction, like writing that that's not even science fiction anymore. Like, Uh, you know that's yeah like you're saying just your standard like magazine stand romance novel now Um, (laughs) right 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 but uh with this in the background and yeah changing yeah totally the landscape of the future and how we how we might have thought of it um it sounds so hard to even like like write a novel and even include these years i feel like it would be so tempting to just slice them out you know what Uh i mean in like uh in like a narrative because like I feel like it would almost seem too weird in the context of a story, even though everyone knows it's real, you know, you have yeah. like 2019 and then, and then 2020, like, I don't know. Do, do you kind of get what I'm trying to say? I, that it's 100%. just like, it's so interrupts everything in in like not a way that would really work that well in a book, right. unless you were actually writing this story. Um, did you that I just feel watch, like it would be um, really hard to write a story in this time. So, sorry, go ahead. Did you
0: ever watch Downton Abbey? I watched some of it. I never finished it. Okay. Yeah. I never finished it either, but I do remember it was like the, you know, it was the second or third of whatever fucking season it was that dealt with world war two. Like at the yeah. end of that season, they deal, there's like an episode, maybe two about like the Spanish flu, right. Which happened right. Or world war one, sorry, which happened right at the like tail end of world war one and sort of like immediately afterwards. And like, like, I, I remember watching it and being like oh well like I know this is a thing that actually happened and like killed a bunch of people and was really bad but also like to your point like it felt so awkward from a storytelling perspective to have <laughs> this like oh this big war like a bunch of people are dying like you've been so worried all season about like these you know like the men who had to go fight and what was happening and all that and then like they get home and then it's like oh now people are sick and it's like wait what like why wow, that yeah. just doesn't fit really like and he, like so so uh, so what i'm saying is a hundred percent right like this is gonna feel so weird and so like out of place and like it's like the
1: biggest like writing prompt challenge of all time for all the both regular and science fiction authors to like see where they can go from here without it sounding like uh, will you please be my little quarantine?
0: Right, exactly. And
1: like Sorry to whoever the artists of that song.
0: Are. I'm, I'm gonna look that up after this. Yeah. I've like I've been actually kind of like purposefully like I, lo- I love pop music and I've been kind of avoiding it just since this because like I kind of like I like don't want to know what like fucking bored celebrities are coming up with for like music right yeah, now. That's you the know? first just, one like, don't I've heard. I know deal with it.
1: for like in like March and April K wave, the local pop station was just playing that it's like kind of an, uh, poppy i don't know it's like like end of the world song it's not really coming to my brain right now i think i've blocked it out uh but it was really popular like last year and they just played that on repeat for like a month like like yeah shitty poppy end of the world music essentially
0: that's funny that's funny yeah. yeah i feel like i've mostly been listening to like you know my usual heavy metal shit and then um carly ray jepson <laughs> came out with like a you know like the b-sides of her last album she just like dropped them during quarantine at some point i like uh-huh. that's love that's lovely because it's this pure it's like like this, you know, it's like this totally pre quarantine yeah, like, a like gift from artifact, the past. right? Exactly, exactly. It's like, oh, this is just nice dance pop that I can listen to and enjoy. And like none of it is <laughs> yeah. about any of this shit. Yeah. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, no, it's gonna be you know, it's gonna be really weird. It's gonna be really weird coming back to you know whatever the fucking real world looks like. Also, just like you know how how like on the nose is it that like literally it turns 2020 you know it's like the year of the future you know like 2000 happened and then 2020 became the year of the future right like in the year 2020 and Mm -hmm. like yeah like that fucking like january in asia and then like by march here in the u.s Mm -hmm. it's like it's so on the nose it's so yeah. weird that we <laughs> yes. have this like perfect like yes 2020 are you saying happened. you think it was
1: synthesized as a bioweapon adrian
0: <laughs> i am not i i won't get into that because you know, i know no one, no totally one wants just, to no one wants to hear me just pushing talking about buttons that.
1: just for fun right well know. you know
0: i like they're, if they're buttons that if you wanted to push them i could like go some places that no one wants to hear me go so <laughs> you
1: might gain a whole new audience and like lose a significant right portion and it's of like not an audience
0: want to gain so you yeah, know <laughs> totally
1: <laughs> you and rush
0: limbaugh are gonna have a show together soon yeah right exactly like no 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 but i think <laughs> i think that you know it is you know i it's it's less than like oh it's like this happened by on purpose and more like what a like how weird that the world you know sometimes the things that really happen are just weirdly on the nose mm-hmm. right like sometimes the so um Have you ever read the War Against the Kator series, I know Nate and I did as kids. Okay, cool. And like, one of the things that like I was just thinking about today was how in those novels, right? It's like an alien, other alien invasion stories. I don't know if anyone in our audience. I forgot. I didn't
1: even think of that when we were talking about this. Yeah, I guess that's more like an ecological invasion.
0: Exactly, exactly. But there is this whole subplot, especially in the first two novels, about how like a lot of normal people in America just don't believe it's happening. Like they don't believe the couture exists, even though there's like videos of these fucking giant right. man eating worms. And they don't believe that like parts of the U S have like totally brand new alien ecologies growing in them. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I remember reading it and being like, that's weird. Like, why don't people believe it? There's like videos and, and like, you know, particularly in, in that story, now, like,
1: most of the population just died of a plague i think
0: right that, exactly that exactly. too
1: and like the background that you forget about
0: right but yeah but we live in a world now where like yeah people don't believe covid is like actually a bad problem <laughs> right like like we live in that world though so is like it like a weird a sudden- side
1: effect of yeah like developing science fiction to the point that like it's like ideas that a certain kind of, uh, person has like thought about like what might happen, but other people take it and like, they're like, Oh, like put, put like the science fiction label on it. So anything with like, yeah, like a uh, worldwide plague or aliens, like goes in the science fiction box and can't be real. Right. And I was something. also thinking when we were talking about, um, yeah, like how, like alien invasion stuff, like, and how we don't have a lot of, cultural fear here of like being invaded for the most part it's almost like right americans think it's like unthinkable right which other places in the world do not have that privilege to think that right. it's uh and and it's also not unthinkable like who the heck knows what could happen um uh but yeah same with a plague it's just like a a, a disaster of this magnitude people just like yeah when we're good at making up narratives about it Like, right, or like, to like a double think narrative. Like, on one hand, like, yeah, we've got this plague raging, and on the other hand, there's like this narrative that like we're just going on with everything as if it's totally normal. On maybe more so than like a month or two ago, yeah, yeah, right. Like, it's time to open up, and it doesn't really matter what's actually happening, like,
0: right, exactly. Well, I think there's this element of like, it couldn't happen here. Like we truly believe that it couldn't happen here. And so even though it is happening here, we don't believe that it is because it couldn't. Right. It's just like circular (laughs) thinking going on, but like, you know, and like, you know, people are dying because of it. Again, I mean, I live in New York city where fucking how many tens of thousands of people have died unnecessarily too. I mean, right. Like, our governor didn't think it could happen here and so he let it happen here and now like takes credit for stopping it when like no dude the reason it fucking happened was like you not listening to people that it was going to happen when it was and like Mm -hmm. just that you know that whole thing of like i don't know any disaster story i read now like, like this is going to be something that comes out of it. Like any disaster story that gets written after 2020 where there's not a subplot about like most people don't, or like at least some people just Mm -hmm. don't believe the disaster is happening even while it happens around them, like won't feel realistic anymore. Like this thing that previously would have felt like, well, I don't get this. This doesn't make any sense. Like in the war against the guitar, (laughs) like now it's going to be like, Oh no. Yeah. No. If people, if there, if there's not like a good 30% of the population who just doesn't think they're dying of COVID, like, then you know that's not a real feeling you know like someone's yeah. got to say like no i don't think the zombies exist while the zombies gnaw on their like foot
1: <laughs> <laughs> do you think that's a peculiarly a peculiarly like american thing or like uh, like uh, do i do mean, you know I feel what like i'm like asking like the british like,
0: did the same thing so i think yeah. it's maybe a little bit more like, like Anglo. a privileged
1: thing I don't right know. i yeah. do think so even I though think... not everyone in america
0: is privileged obviously but right right but like no i means. think there's you know I think it maybe does exist on this because like again like you know the British if anything is have handled this like worse than we have right and Mm -hmm. like a lot of European countries have been hit pretty hard with it and like I do wonder if it's maybe a broader like western thing of like oh yes no we're the ones who do the conqueror. like we're the ones who are like you know more civilized or maybe I mean we've also got like Brazil
1: you know uh right well you know well, I, I mean, I mean, I think yeah. in
0: some ways like the, you know, Brazilian government under like the current president like it's wants to be that way similar to ours
1: in some ways. Right, yeah, there's exactly. A lot of, a
0: lot, yeah. You know, so I, I don't know. Like, it's definitely, uh, you know, science fiction right now in some ways, like, you know, I both like I, I, I think being like escapist is good, like reading escapist like nice shit right now is kind of good. Uh, Mm -hmm. because it like helps me deal with just like the world, which is like a fucking trash fire at the moment. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Remember in 2016 when we thought that was going to be the worst year ever.
1: (laughs) Yeah. 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 And then it's an election year. So it like, it could either get better or just like, I, or I'll just give up all hope. So that's all I have to say about that, I guess. Yeah. (laughs) And like Better. Well, yeah. Yep, right. we don't need to go there marginally
0: i guess <laughs> yeah. better better not as bad let's th- i think not as agree, bad not yeah. as terrible <laughs> 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 I'll, I'll give you that <laughs> what <sighs> would be
1: good to hope for is like um that it, by the end of the year the beginning of next year maybe we have a government that will admit that there's like a pandemic happening
0: yeah exactly that's exactly. a pretty
1: low bar but that's what but, you I know, we I'm don't have it, it now. So let's I'll, yeah, I'll take yeah. it right
0: now. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Uh, all right. Well, I think that's all I have to say on the pre-read yeah, yeah. era of things. Thank you so much for coming on, Lydia. Is yeah, there anything thanks for like having
1: me. This has been fun.
0: Else about the story or anything folks should know before we go nope, into like it. Like I
1: said, in just like the couple chapters I've read. Um, I, yeah, the rest is going to be a surprise to all of us. And I'm, I'm yeah, that's what I always hope for is that like. I go in with all these ideas of themes or like where he might go or whatever. And then if he just yeah. does something I didn't even think of, that's the best.
0: Excellent. Well, I'm looking forward yeah. to talking to you about it. Yeah. Hopefully that will have happened in a week or two and yeah. we chat again. And, uh, okay. you know, uh, and yeah, and there's nowhere like online that you want people to follow you or anything like that. Um, nope. right.
1: I don't, cool. I'm, I, am i am not a public persona.
0: Uh, good for you, you know. it's <laughs> Neither is Matt, and it's like y'all have yeah. made the right choice. My brain, okay. on the other hand, is like permanently broken by Twitter. So
1: <laughs> I still can't figure out how to I signed up for Twitter recently, and I cannot for the life of me figure
0: it out. Like, don't don't make the mistake of figuring it out. But that, that's I'm all. I'm regularly asking
1: my friends who are like ten years, twenty years older than me for help with it. So that's where I'm at.
0: That's don't. Uh, my my advice would be don't <laughs> ask for help because you might eventually learn and then. Your ba- brain <laughs> will be broken by it too. Yeah, like, the only people I
1: follow are science fiction authors, though, so that's something.
0: Right. Well, you know. <laughs> there's a really a lot of really obnoxious science fiction authors on Twitter as well. (laughs) That's probably true. I'll probably cut that statement out, but you know, Jesus. (laughs) Um, Well, yeah, thank you so much for being on. I really appreciate it. Um, You know, thanks to everyone who's listened so far. Uh, Thanks to WJ for music, which you're hearing right now. You can find him on SoundCloud And uh, yeah, we'll be back in, I guess, two weeks at the end of July with our post-read and we'll have some, um, B will have a couple of book tour episodes coming out between then as well as like going through the summer. Um, I might have one or two in the fall as well, but they're going to be continuing to do those like for the foreseeable future, um, you know seems that people like them and the uh you know we have a lot of authors coming on who are pretty freaking cool and some really cool authors who've done it you know i would I, I would actually say for anyone who hasn't listened to those episodes like they're actually really fun and interesting we had a uh, Nino you know, cipri on recently and like that was a really cool author between or really cool interview between them and b as well as um I had an interview with uh Serge Jones who wrote the fortress, uh, which I was really happy to talk to her about that book. Cause I thought it was really cool. So I hope people listen to that. Hope everyone listened, enjoyed this again, Lydia, thank you for coming on and uh, we'll see everyone next time. Bye.
1: Bye. Okay. I should hit stop or yeah. Okay.